Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we are joined by pop culture and reality TV podcaster, Danny Pellegrino, who is the host of Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino. Danny just released his book, a memoir and essays called How Do I Unremember This? Unfortunately, True Stories. It was an instant New York Times bestseller, and the book covers Danny's coming of age as a closeted gay kid growing up in small town Ohio and the many embarrassing stories he collected over the years. We talked today about pop culture, Danny's lifelong love of books, and the importance of queer stories. Don't forget the Stacks Book Club pick for April is Doppelgangbanger by Courtney Lamar Charleston. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, April 27th with Nate Marshall. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on every single episode of the Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. It will have a link for every person, book, article, essay, TV show, and whatever else we mentioned on the episode. So please click that link in the show notes whenever you're wondering about what we're talking about. If you love the show and want more of it, join the Stacks Pack. That's our exclusive community for all you book lovers out there. We have an awesome Discord community, monthly virtual book club conversations, bonus episodes, plus you get discounts on merch and a lot more. Not to mention the Stacks is an entirely independent podcast, which means there is no way I can make the show without this community. So if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join. Here are some of our newest members. Thank you all so much. Lisa, Karen Jaffe, Abby Schaefer, Laura Catherine Stevens, Meg, Sidra, Cassandra Opiella, Rebecca Fee, Christy Wilson, and Stephanie Meehan. Thank you all so much. And thank you to the entire Stacks Pack. I couldn't do it without you. All right. Now it's time for my chat with the Danny Pellegrino. All right, everybody. I'm so excited today. We're going to do a books meets pop culture moment. We have Danny Pellegrino, who is author, podcast host, and many things, pop culture genius, savant, perhaps. Danny, welcome to the Stacks. Tracy, I'm so excited to chat with you. I know your show. I listen to your show. I was just before this listening to your Kendra James interview, Mm. uh, and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. We're going to start by talking about your book, How Do I Unremember This? So in about 30 seconds or so, will you just let people know what the book is about? 
Yeah. How do I unremember this? Is a collection of short stories that will hopefully make you laugh. They're loaded with nostalgia, pop culture references, uh, their family stories, bad dates, all the awkward moments that you wish you could unremember. That uh, I don't care if you're laughing with me or at me, as long as you're laughing while you're reading the book. And then there's a couple <laughs> other chapters too that are a little bit more serious. But for the most part, I want the book to feel like a warm hug and something you could read at the pool or the beach or just to get away for a couple hours. I read this book while I was in Palm Springs this weekend, and I was definitely laughing. I listened to some of the audiobook, which I personally love because it's your voice and it's you. And so it felt like extra Danny. I'm always curious. I always ask people who have like public personas, which I think that you do. How do you know how much to share? How do you decide like what is okay and what and like, do you reach out to people and be like, hey, I'm going to tell that story where that embarrassing yeah. thing happened? You know, for the book, I tried to change everyone's names and and those sorts of details to as to not offend anyone. But I tried to always just keep a focus on myself. So even my boyfriend is sort of a large presence in the book, but I don't name him. And I tried to keep whatever stories, if I was talking about something that happened between us, I tried to keep it focused on my feelings and what happened with me in this scenario. And so I tried to be as respectful as possible, but ultimately I decided I couldn't reach out to people beforehand because I thought it would censor me too much and I wanted mm. it to be open and honest. So I, I I, sort of felt like I just had to trust my gut that I wouldn't write anything that anyone would be offended by. Right. The, the person I was most worried about was my mother because my mom could be very buttoned up. And so she was someone that I couldn't change the name in the book. Right. You know, it, it was my parents. So they were sort of, they had to be in there. And so I, I was worried about her, but ultimately she liked it. And I think, yeah, I just trusted my gut in that. And I think there were a couple of moments where I would take out a line or something if I felt like it would be something someone would read and and be offended by. But on my podcast, I noticed the more sort of open and vulnerable I got on the show, the more people would reach out to me and and relate to my stories or or when I talk about mental health on my show I would get messages of people saying they had similar experiences obviously different but uh, right. some shared commonalities so I just tried to be myself and hopefully no one was offended by it I haven't heard of anyone offended yet Okay, that's good. That's good. There, yeah. there will be someone I'm sure who's like, oh, sure. oh my god, I can't believe that. But who cares? Uh, I mean, maybe yeah. you do, but I don't. <laughs> I don't know them. They're not my friends. Right, I want right. to talk. So you mentioned your podcast. I want to talk about this idea of detours. You sort of open the book with you know letting the reader know. Sometimes on your show, where your show you talk, you recap reality TV, Bravo shows. But you do these little detours where you'll talk about something from your life and you bring this up at the start of the book and they happen throughout the book. And I really like that device as a podcast host and as a as a reader reading these stories. And I want to know what sort of excited you or spoke to you about this idea of a detour. Well, it happened organically and accidentally on my show when I was recapping Real Housewives or, or one of the shows I talk about or uh, when I'm interviewing a celebrity guest, I would just sort of go on these tangents. And I noticed when I was touring pre-pandemic, that's what people were coming up to me and asking about was the story about my mom and her woodpecker or just a, a bad date story that I told on the show. So I recognized that that uh, was connecting with people. And I liked telling those stories. I used to be a stand-up comedian before the podcast. And so oftentimes those stories within the realm of the podcast 
I would look at them as sort of little stand-up bits, or I would mm. I would almost craft them not as specifically as I would have a, a stand-up set or something like that, but I would I would sort of map out in my head, oh, I want to tell that story before I would get on the microphone. And then I would try to find a spot that fit organically to tell those stories. And so when it came to the book, I knew originally the book was sold as under the title of Detours because I oh. thought people who listen to my podcast would know that. And then ultimately the publisher told me that they tested it and it reminded people too much of construction. So they said, we can't mm. name it that. And so <laughs> that was frustrating, a frustrating conversation to have. But I, I like that device. And I also like in the writing process, it was fun for me to just be able to take these little tangents throughout a story. So each chapter will be about one specific story. But then within that, I can talk about Home Alone 2 or I mm -hmm. could talk about my sexual awakenings for a couple pages. And so right. it was really just fun, fun for me to write in that way. And, and at the end of the process, I was really looking at all of those and, and seeing where I should scale back or if, I, if there were certain ones I took out or, or I moved around. And, and so it, it was fun. And also it was a creative challenge too, to find out where they fit naturally. And I didn't want them to take too much away from the the larger narrative I was trying to tell within each chapter. And so I loved it. And also it kind of goes back. I, I tend to speak in pop culture. I love movies, <laughs> TV, toys, all that stuff. And uh, it was fun to be able to get into all of those 90s references, the nostalgia. And I was worried at, at a certain point, like, are there too many pop culture references? And ultimately... I decided that I should just lean into that and hopefully other people will relate and, and enjoy and and yeah. understand the references. I love the pop culture references. I'm going to take a detour really quick. I once had to do stand-up comedy for a class in college. I went to NYU and it was like a summer school class and it was a really it was only like five of us. And when I tell you that it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done, I made myself sick. I had diarrhea. Because I was sure. so stressed out and so nervous. And I killed, obviously. But I will never. It's too much. It is the kind of, like now whenever I see stand-up comedians, I'm like, whatever kind of like metal balls you have, like it's insane. Like It's very I, challenging. And I, <laughs> I didn't love, I also studied a lot of sketch and improv. So I studied at Second City in Chicago mm -hmm. and here at the Groundlings and and I always loved the performance aspect of being on stage with a group of people and yeah. that shared experience. And so when I was doing stand-up, it, it was too stressful. Like even when I would have a really good show, it was there was too much of this. And I'm someone who already suffers from anxiety. And so it yeah. was like I would get so hyped up, the nervous diarrhea, yeah. the, all of that stuff. It's like, sorry to be gross, but it's true. You get your body and everything goes through something. And it since uh, the podcast started taking off and I just got off a book tour where I was doing sort of this mix of stand up my podcast and these shows mm. that were a little bit authory, but then also sort of stand up -y too a, a little bit. It was I just it's too much for me. Like I can do it in little spurts. And so yeah. I did I like six or seven cities or something. And it was it was all in two weeks, which was oh exhausting. <laughs> but I, I'm not someone I could never do like the yearly where I know people who are on the road all the time and it's too much too much anxiety, too much hormones, yeah. all of that. It's like the it's like a roller coaster every time. I, I I still that was like 15 years ago and I still get like 
my I, my heart rate is up right now just thinking about it. It was so scary. Oh uh, you said you killed. You said you killed. I do you killed. remember? Do you remember yes. like one joke from it? So yeah. well, I don't remember the exact thing, but I'm black and Jewish, so I had this whole bit about how like. I kind of can't remember what it was. It was something like, I'm always late, but I bring bagels or something. I don't know. I can't remember. It was it was good. You don't have to fake laugh, but I can't remember. Um, no, I'm not fake laughing. I love stand up <laughs> stories. And, oh, God. and you sort of do have to you have to fit yourself into like a a box, you know, yeah. like that's how they teach you to do stand up. It's like it was you're so horrible. You're, you're a persona. Yeah. And it was at I think it was at stand up New York, like the place with the neon sign. Like it was like a cool place or like this great picture of me, like sitting on a stool, like holding a mic being like, Psh. but you can see like the sweat stains in my pink shirt because I'm so <laughs> nervous. Anyways. Okay. Let's get off the worst awesome. day of my life. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> when I was doing the book tour at it's like there's some sort of comfort level just because there's a chair I could sit down on mm. and I would have my computer hooked up to the TV. So it was like I had I have that crutch, but I don't know that I would be able to. It would be really challenging to just go back out on stage with just a microphone oh. and nothing else. Yeah. Oh, man, that was the worst. Uh, <laughs> OK, you mentioned your pop culture brain. I know people like you who remember every little pop culture moment reference thing. Like I heard you on Keep It. I know Louis Vertel is like that too, where it's just like every little thing. I'm like, you guys are, it's, it's crazy. It's like a savant moment. But how do you feel like you're able to stay relevant in a space that's now like so saturated with so many people who are like constantly talking about pop culture and it's like so easy to access everything? Yeah, I think it's all about authenticity. So I don't try to talk about shows I don't like or or mm -hmm. movies or anything like that that I'm not into. And I do love pop culture and I do watch a lot of TV and and see a lot of movies and stuff. But I, I just try to follow what I like and and whether that's something nostalgic, like I was just uh, tweeting about 90s McDonald's toys because it's like <laughs> that's what I'm into. And so I don't I don't try to force it. I think that's the most important thing is just follow what you like. And then I think with the podcast, I learned that what I like, hopefully other people will also like, and that'll be how we have our shared communication. But I don't try to just, oh, everyone's talking about this thing. I'm going to talk about this thing. If, yeah. if it's natural, then I do it. And if not, I ignore it. I mean, there are certain shows that even in the history of my podcast, I've tried to maybe dip into and it's like, oh, I wasn't really into it or or even within the realm of Housewives because I cover a lot of Bravo on my show. And there have been times I just I'll, I won't recap a season of a show and because I'm not feeling it and I don't mm. want to ever get on the microphone or or on my social media or something and talk about something I'm hating. And I'd much rather celebrate and talk about the things that I love. And and so I just follow that. Do you ever get in a situation where you start out talking about something that you think you're going to love and then you get to like the middle or the end and you're like, fuck, I actually hate this. And like, how do you approach that conversation? Yeah, there have been times on my podcast this season in particular of The Real Houses of Orange County, I'm not liking it at all. And I mm. took off last season covering it. And so I tend to just people will listen and they'll be like, oh, you're starting to trail off on your Orange County recaps. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not into it. <laughs> yeah. So you don't so ever go off go like negative on things you try to just like stop i try to stop of course there's times i i will go negative or i'll just tell people like i'm bored or i'm not like i'm mm -hmm. not enjoying this but i, I do try my best and I, again 
that's not a concrete thing of there there's certainly times but where I, I I can skew negative or something but for the most part I try as best I can to just keep it as a celebration of things I love that doesn't mean I won't be critical of something if I'm recapping or whatever but I I just try to keep it what I like yeah yeah because I I don't want to be I, I then I get in a negative headspace I feel right. like it's not even about the audience. It's just like, I don't want to be sitting here hating something. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I, um, I'm a big bachelor fan, bachelor franchise fan. And there's a few podcasts that I've like been able to guest host on and, you know, you have to take all the notes and the whole thing, but sometimes like the episodes are really horrible. And like, there's like crazy shit where you're like, okay, now I have to talk about this and this sucks. Like, I don't want to talk about this. So I totally get that. And that's happened on this show too. We're like, I have to talk like we do for book club. We pick a book and then I end up hating it. And then I'm like, oh, well, I can't lie. People will know I did not like this book. Yeah. Um, and people can see through the bullshit. And I oh. think I always notice when I'm really loving something, if I'm really into a topic, those are the episodes of mine that and tend to do the best. The ones yeah. where I'm just sort of blah about something. No one, people, some people might listen, but I, I think people can tell. And so I, it's always more successful. I think when you're at least really into it, you don't always have to really love it, but you have yeah. to be really like passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I always say that people always ask like, how do I pick guests and authors? And I'm always like, I just pick whoever I'm the most curious about. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to love them. I just have to be curious about who they are and what they're doing. Um, right. And people ask me all the time about, I have a lot of housewives or celebrity guests on my show. And people ask, like, how, do, how am I choosing who I have on? And I, it's always just who I want to talk to. Like, yeah. I don't, I, I'm an independent podcast. So it's not like I have to, there's, I get emails all the time of somebody saying, oh, will you have this person on or that person on? And I always say no if I'm not into it. But then no. there's other times it, they don't have to be the biggest star or the biggest whoever. It just has to be someone I'm into because I know that if I'm not, it's going to be a bad interview. I've done those interviews in the past, too, where we're all bored and there's no one's getting anything from it. But if I'm at least interested, then I think it'll make for better listening. Yeah, that's exactly my thing, too. I think when you're I'm also independent and I think when you're independent, you have that freedom even more so of like there's no one over your shoulder at all. You can just be like, I don't care about that. I don't want to do it. Um, it's hard to explain to people, though. The audience, I think, sometimes doesn't understand that because there are so many podcasts that are run by these big organizations and yeah. stuff like that. And for an independent show, you don't have to follow any rules. You, I don't have to have guests on at all. If there's times yeah. where I go months where I don't have any guests on. Yeah. And that's, but that's so I, I just hard. I don't decision. know how you do that because I hate, I hate talking alone into a microphone. I'm like, Oh, I don't have a guest. I, my best friends in town. I'm like, you need to come talk to me today. Like I can't do it, but oh that's God. like such a skill. I like having the freedom to just record whenever I want. And mm. and I could rec I, I like being able to record when I have the most energy. So it's like mm. I'll have my coffee and then I'll go and record and, and I don't have to worry about scheduling with people. And so I like having guests sometimes, but it's I think for the most part, it's easier for me to just record on my own. Yeah, that makes sense. So I know another thing that you love that you talked about in the book is you love books and bookstores. And I'm really curious as a person who also loves like pop culture, and I do believe that books, you know, are pop culture. Um, but I'm wondering, do you feel like book books get the pop culture credit that they deserve? Or like, how can books start 
getting getting that like pop culture edit. No, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because there are all these book clubs that have mm-hmm. like Reese Witherspoon, people like you have made books cool and within pop culture. And I think it's important for us to have more people like yourself and whoever are running these book clubs and spotlighting books. Like we need to spotlight books more. And even within my little realm of the world, I I keep thinking I need to do more shows about books and I need to do what I can to spotlight books because I do love reading. And, and just because of the nature of my show, I don't always get to talk about books or sometimes I'll have authors on and sometimes I'll do book club uh, episodes about certain celebrity memoirs or something like that. But yeah, I, I wish that I wish that people read more and I wish that books were spotlighted more. And even I was thinking, uh, I, I feel like there aren't a lot of gay book clubs or, or gay men who are who are spotlighting other gay men because when with my book, when I was taking it out, I would hear a back from a lot of these book clubs, whether they be the celebrity book clubs or the smaller uh, book clubs, but it was a lot of spotlighting uh, female authors and mm-hmm. and people of color and and all of that stuff is so great. I just was noticing there's there seemed to me to be a little bit of a void for spotlighting LGBTQ authors and I so I think so you're going to start a book club. I think there are I would I don't know no I mean <laughs> I, it seems like a daunting task but I I wish there were more I don't know there's only a handful of celebrity gay men people like Andy Cohen or or Anderson Cooper. Or, Matt Bomer or whoever. Yeah. And it's like, I need some of those people to start a book club. I know Andy has a a wonderful imprint, but it would be nice to have people like that spotlighting LGBTQ authors. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm like trying to rack my brain. I'm sure there's someone that I'm not thinking of, but you're totally right. Yeah. I'm I'm sure there are people, but yeah, but like not, not on like the Reese Witherspoon level or whatever. That leads me to my next topic that I want to talk about. So, I mean, you're gay and you're like unabashedly gay, which is, I think right, like, you're outing me, Tracy. Oh, you- fuck. oh <laughs> spoiler alert uh, <laughs> from the book. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but like, I think one of the, one of the sections I loved was when you were talking about Franck from father of the bride, one I of my favorite characters and just one of my favorite movies. And you talk a little bit about like how I, it had never dawned on me, which you say in the book, that he was gay, but that like he's not gay. Like it's never said. He just is like we assume he's gay because he's a wedding planner and he's flamboyant and he has his like assistant who's maybe his boyfriend or maybe just he likes having a cute younger guy around or whatever. And I'm wondering like how you feel now many years after that movie's come out about the representation of gay men in pop culture? Like, how has it changed for the better? How has it changed for the worse? Well, I hate that we're still in an age where things are often coded by the larger studios. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're we're constantly, every time there's a new Marvel movie or Disney animated movie or something, there's like, oh, we're having an exclusive gay moment. And it's like this, the most coded kind of thing still in 2022. I remember when the Beauty and the Beast live action remake, they made such a big deal in the press about the LeFou having like this sort of like glance at. Uh, one of the other characters in a dance scene. And it was like, we're still having to be so coded. Right, like the larger, Yeah, it's Crumbs. And, or, or Luca was a fantastic animated film that I think most people read as the characters kind of coming of age. 
in a, a gay sense. And of course, no one is asking for these an animated film to show two men, you know, hooking up or having sex or something like that. <laughs> right. But it's still it still shouldn't have to be that coded. And and like you said, we're settling for crumbs. And and I was just reading about the new uh, Buzz Lightyear movie where they because of all the Disney say gay controversy that's going on, they they are reinstating a gay kiss that will probably happen in the background of right, one scene right. for two seconds. And and I it's unfortunate that although we're getting lots of great representation on television and uh, in independent film, it's still for mainstream stuff. There are so many superhero movies. There are so many of these larger things that there are is not a trace of gay people anywhere to be seen. And if there are, it's like that two second moment in the background. And so I find that troubling and upsetting and, and frustrating and, and it needs to change. And we just, I, I think people largely the culture is okay with gay people, but it, we're just not seeing it represented on screen at all. And right. I mean, you mentioned The Bachelor, and I, I've dipped into the world of The Bachelor, but it's something like that where I, I don't, my brain doesn't understand that <laughs> we've had 25 seasons of a show. And even in the pandemic, they were producing the show for what seemed like very cheap because they were all yes, at it, the La Quinta. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't, I can't understand how come ABC hasn't just done one right. season. Right. I, out of all those things, just do one and, you still can do your other ones and I don't understand it. And and so the representation doesn't make sense to me in a lot of ways. Do you think that there's, I mean, given, you know, we're, we're talking about this in 2022 when there is so much anti-gay, anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ plus legislation, all of this like really fucking horrible, horrible shit that is going to fuck up so many kids. And like, it makes me, you know, very upset. And I'm sure it makes you very upset too. I'm wondering, do you feel like the studios, the television channels, the people who claim to, you know, support LGBTQIA rights, all of these things, do you think that they have an obligation to actually turn up the gay? Like, do you think that that's what they should be doing in light of this? Or do you think that like they should stay out of it? Or like, what do you, how, what are your feelings about all of this? Oh, well, it's also upsetting. I mean, like you said, yeah. it's just it's it's disgusting and upsetting. Yeah. And I, yeah, in terms of like specifically like studios, production companies and stuff like that, I do think they should just there should be more content out there. I think the more people are able to see themselves on screen and see other people on screen, I think it does move the needle so much mm -hmm. because, you know, I kind of always go back to my mom and I, I remember when I think I was in high school or college when the show called brothers and sisters came out yes. with Sally Field. And, oh my gosh. And I, I remember sitting with my mom and I grew up in Ohio in a, in a smaller conservative town and watching those two gay men, uh, two gay ca characters on screen. It made my mom, my mom related to Nora who was played by Sally Field. And it kind of opened her eyes to what it would be like to be a mother to gay people. And she, my mom loves a soap opera too. So it's like, when there's gay people represented within the realm of her entertainment, she is able to kind of understand all of it more, mm. better. And so, yeah, I, I wish there was just more representation. And like I said, if you're doing five or 10 superhero movies a year, there should be 
gay people in them. Like there just yeah. should be. There's we. It's crazy to me that I always talk about holiday movies and the Hallmark Channel for the longest time. Finally, they're starting to give yeah. us some representation. But for the longest time, they were touting and every every season they would be bragging about how they produced 40 new holiday movies a season 40 of them i there was a point where it was 35 then it was 37 then they're right. like well this year we got 40 and there's not one lgbt person not even a side character in right. 40 new movies not even a speaking role and i'm not not even talking about the lead at this point i was saying what about the person at the end? They can't right, have a right. husband or a boyfriend or so that's not normal. That's not the world we're all living in. And I'm not someone who's saying take away those all 40 of those should be all LGBTQ or something like that. I'm just saying that you're producing 40 new movies. Come on. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Or do 41. Do 41. And they're finally gotten, they've gotten better and they've gotten new leadership. And so now the person who used to run that channel went to that new GAC network, which I think is never heard of it. They're doing like super, it's very conservative. There's no gay people over there, but now Hallmark is starting. Now Hallmark is finally dipping the toe. I I don't famously, I don't know if people know this, but I do not like the holidays and I do not watch holiday movies and I do not and I do not listen to holiday music until Christmas Eve. Uh, I just can't, wow. I, it, for whatever reason, I just don't, I'm not into it. And I like Christmas. Like I like, like it's not about, I just don't like all of the, like people are like, oh, it's September the first shot. I'm like, what do you mean? It's September. Like I'm Tracy, still in this is where top. our friendship ends because <laughs> I'm the opposite as you. I, I love feel like it. everyone I'm- loves those things. I cannot get into them. I have friends who are in them and I will like try to watch. And then I'm like, I literally, I love you, but this is, <laughs> it can't happen for me. Um, <laughs> uh, I love that. Um, your book also, like, I think one of the things I really like about your book is like how openly like and unabashedly gay it is like I feel like that is a thing about you where like you embrace so much of yourself and for for the audiences and I know in publishing sometimes they like ask people to pull back a little bit and I did not get that sense so I really like that about your book oh thank you I wanted it to be that and I wanted I was so lucky and happy that my publisher source books was they didn't give me, I, I mentioned they had some trouble with the title, but in terms of the content of the book, like they left me alone and let me do what I wanted to do. And it was completely, they didn't tell me to take any of it out. And I know a lot of the people that were going to get the book tend to be women. I, I just because I know my podcast audience, mm-hmm. they're, uh, I see the breakdowns as mostly women. And I, I would imagine a lot of straight women who read or who listen to my show or or were going to pick up the book. But I didn't want to censor myself because I also, it was so important for me that a gay kid in Ohio could pick up the book and recognize some stuff. So I didn't want to sanitize anything. There's one chapter where I, a story sort of revolves around a, a gay porn that's playing. And I wanted <laughs> to just be unabashedly like, this is a Sean Cody video. And yeah. there are going to be plenty of people reading it who don't know what Sean Cody is. But for the little gay boy in Ohio or the or the gay man reading it, uh, they're going to know that reference. And so it was like that. It was so important for me to not sanitize any of that, any of that stuff, because I remember reading 
I just talked about this on that Keep It show, a book called Swish, where it was unabashedly gay. And I read that at a very formative time in my life. And when I was uh, right before I came out of the closet, I was living in Chicago and I read that book. And and yeah, he talked about sex and dating and all of these things. And I, I think it made me feel like, oh, my life will be okay. Right. And I'll be able to be a sexual person, a funny person, someone who loves pop culture and has a great family life. And I, so I think it's important for, it was so important for me not to sanitize any of the gay stuff. So that doesn't mean I'm always sitting there talking about gay sex, but I, I wanted to (laughs) to not sanitize. Um, What do you think childhood Danny would say to you now? How would he feel about this book existing? He would love it. I mean, it it was a dream come true. I I've always wanted to do this. I grew up loving like David Sedaris and mm. I, like we mentioned. I worked at a bookstore in high school, and so I, he would just be so excited that my book was in store shelves. I mean, it was so wild to walk into a Barnes and Noble. And I know I worked at a Borders. Borders doesn't exist anymore, but I spent so much time at my Solon, Ohio Borders that. It was a dream come true to have a book at a bookstore now. So I think he would be super excited. Uh, And I think also I interviewed Miss Piggy and childhood Danny wouldn't have been able to understand (laughs) that. Like he, it would have just been (laughs) mind blowing. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Was she great? She was amazing. Yes. And, and Rosie O'Donnell too. It was like those, probably the two pillars of my childhood, Miss Piggy and Rosie O'Donnell getting to interview them over zoom. What more could you ask for? Nothing. Um, Okay, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. 
Figure Lending LLC DBA Figure Equal Opportunity Lender NMLS 1717824 Terms and Conditions Apply Visit Figure.com for more information For licensing information go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org Okay, we're back. There's one more thing I want to talk about that's in your book before we sort of move on to your writing process, which is grief. You talk a lot about grief and the feelings that come with that and sort of the mental health around that. And I want to know why that was important to incorporate into this book, especially because, as you mentioned, you wanted the book to feel like a warm hug and to be sort of a fun, funny vibe. And, you know, the stories that you shared, like some of them are really, you know, they're they're sad stories. So I'm curious where that came from for you. I wasn't expecting to write about grief at all. I was going into that chapter writing about this bad date that I had, and I thought it was really kind of silly and funny (laughs) that I went on this date that was at a fast food restaurant. I thought it was funny. And then when I sat down to write it, it sort of morphed into about grief and losing my grandmother. And at the time of this date, it was like right after my grandma had passed, which I didn't really piece together until I sat down to write the story. And so initially when I had sold the book, the only sort of deep chapter was going to be a chapter about my mental health struggle. I thought that was going to be sort of the dramatic anchor of the book. And then everything else would just be funny, silly, absurd, that kind of stuff. And ultimately, when it came up, I just decided to lean into it. And and I thought it was so fascinating to me how we all handle grief, how we all deal with loss. And it's so fucked up. And we we want to act like it's such a clean experience, but it's a much messier experience. And and so I was fascinated by grief and how I handled it in my own life and how we culturally handle it. And every religion has their different experience. Some, it, where I come from, you have your funeral services for an hour when somebody passes and then you're, everyone's just expected to move on. And it's not as clean as that. And so I thought that was just really interesting. And, and so I was fortunate that my publisher was very hands-off with the content of the book. So when I wanted to just do a whole chapter about grief, essentially, and I I hope that there are moments in that chapter that people will smile or laugh, but I went there because I felt like it's a human experience. And I love a heavier book. I love a darker topic. My favorite book as a kid was Bridge to Terabithia, Mm. which deals with grief. And and I kept going back to that and, and the idea that kids can handle the heaviness and Mm -hmm. and we can all handle the heaviness. Mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating to me. Sometimes we try to stay away from something that makes us feel a little uncomfortable, but I think we can all handle it. And if a kid can handle reading Bridge to Terabithia, and in my case, it became my favorite book and something I revisit once or a year or so, then I thought, why not do a chapter about grief? And, And it became, I think, one of my favorite, I think my favorite chapter in the book. Yeah, I I love that chapter. Uh, I think it's really good, and I did laugh also. I mean, the date was Thank pretty you. horrific. Yeah, and I I'm I tend to like the dark comedy of anything. Yeah. I mean, the things that I love in TV or film, I like when there's a dark edge. There's a show called The Comeback that's my favorite thing oh, ever with, with Lisa, Lisa Kudrow. Kudrow, and it's some people watch it and they're very uncomfortable because it's dark, but. I find it so funny, and I love the the mix of that. Yeah, no, I I people know that I love a dark a dark book, a dark moment. I famously say that I don't like comedy. I do, but I don't like. I like when things are dark, and I can laugh, but I don't like when someone's like trying to like give me a ha ha moment. So you mentioned before you're an independent podcaster. I know what that means. It means a lot of fucking work. How did you make time to write the book? Uh, well. I don't know. I mean, it was during the pandemic. So I think we were all sort of stuck at home. I just dove in and, and, 
and wrote it. And I'm someone who's always kept a journal. I've always, I've always been writing. And so I think just, uh, I, I also have a lot of like screenwriting stuff that I had worked on before the book. And so I just, I put that stuff on pause and, and I went into the book. So I'm very disciplined with work stuff. Like I'm pretty good at sitting down and, and especially in the pandemic, I just didn't really have a social life. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wrote all the time and yeah. How do you like to write? Where are you? How many hours a day? How often do you have music? Do you have snacks and beverages? Paint the picture. I can write anywhere. Like I could go to a loud coffee shop and write, or I'm fine sitting in quiet in a room. Uh, I've just, I'm someone who writes every single day. So I, there's a, tons of projects I have on my computer or in my office that will never see the light of day. I mean, I have countless screenplays that uh, will just sit on my computer or, uh, and I have others that are kind of in different development phases, but I'm someone who just, I can write as all the time. And I think that's kind of the most important for people. If they want to be a writer, you just have to sit down and write. And a lot of it is just going to be stuff that you throw away or mm -hmm. you never use again, but you have to know that it's going to be something that will help you grow to the next level of writing. And, and even with the process of this book, I finished it and I kept writing after the book. I, cause I want to do a second collection and I noticed I'm loving the stuff I'm writing now because I feel like the, it, within the first book, I learned what I like and mm. what I don't like and where my strengths are and and weaknesses are and so I think you just have to keep writing and also to find your voice and to to find what you you do. I mean, I learned that I'm someone who should lean into the pop culture references. Mm -hmm. That's what I like and I finished this book and I I like that about this book and some people might not but I do and so you learn as you keep writing but yeah, I, I write a lot. What were your weaknesses that you discovered? You know, I think uh, not trying to shoot when it came to the pop culture references specifically, it's like I not trying to shoehorn stuff that's not me or that mm. I don't like. I it, it doesn't work for me to put in a, a sports reference or right. something if it's not natural to me. Also, I think some of the stories that I like, there are certain stories in the book that I would expand on and there are certain things that I would maybe make shorter. Mm -hmm. And I learned that throughout the process of there were certain chapters that before I, before the final edit, they were much longer or much shorter. And I also love in this book, there are certain chapters that are quick, a couple pages and, and I like that. And so I think that's something that I would lean into for the next one of it's okay to have a shorter chapter and, and kind of mix and match a little bit. Yeah. Does that make I like, sense? Yeah. I like when yeah. chapters are different lengths. I, I personally, I love essay collections and I like when they're not all uniformly like the same number of words or whatever. Um, but, and this is important now, Danny, you did sort of avoid the part about snacks and beverages. Do you have them when you're writing? If so, what are they? We need details about what oh, you're yeah. eating and drinking. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, yeah, I'm a snack person. So I'm a, but I'd say I, I tend to lean more towards sweets. So I'm a chocolate lover. Okay. I think I, I think that's what I'm mostly snacking on is like the peanut butter cups. I'm recently addicted to Justin's peanut butter cups. Oh, the, like the healthy Is it ones? Justin's? Yeah. They're Justin's. like the healthy. Yeah. But they're not really healthy. And that's only because I really believe, Tracy, that they have changed the recipe on Reese's peanut butter cups because I don't find them. The chocolate is always chalky to me now. 
And I mm. love a Hershey's chocolate, but the Reese's always taste chalky to chalky. me. Chalky. Do you ever so do I, the seasonal shaped ones? Because those ones are my favorite. Those are the ratio. always more fresh. And yeah. I just want to tell people a trick. You should always buy the seasonal candy, no matter what it is, because it's always going to be way more fresh than the other stuff that's sitting on the shelves. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I'd say peanut butter cups are kind of my guilty pleasure. And also it gives me a little boost when I need some some sugar. Thank you for sharing a snack that I actually like because people here know sometimes people try to tell me their favorite snack is a clementine and I'm like, I'm, I oh, am embarrassed for you or like I don't snack or I just like to munch on like nuts. I'm like, oh, really cool. Do you have any like friends? Three almonds. Yeah. I know. You know what I'm also obsessed with since we're talking snacks is uh, Cheez-Its um, has a new grooves they're called Cheez-Its grooves oh okay they're so good they're like a little bit thicker than the normal Cheez-Its and they're flavored so there's like a a white cheddar one that is fantastic there's a ranch one okay and yeah they have like little grooves but they're Cheez-Its grooves and I'm like obsessed with them right okay I need to uh, immediately goes to Target to buy these the ranch ones are the best but Target doesn't always carry the ranch ones okay where do you get them you're in LA right yeah I mean the Ralph's down the street from us has the ranch, ranch. ones, okay, but I, I don't know if they just sell out or if what it is, but the ranch ones are the best ones. So if you could find the ranch grooves. Okay. I, I cannot wait to send you a bunch of DMs of me like covered in snacks. Please. <laughs> okay. What about what's a word you can never spell correctly on the first try? Uh, accommodate. There's a joke in the book where it's like I had to look up how to spell accommodate, but I knew how to spell Philippi, like as in Ryan <laughs> Philippi, because because <laughs> I've searched for Ryan Philippi on my Google image a million times since I was in yeah. seventh grade. But I, uh, the word accommodate is hard. Also, yeah. when I was reading the audiobook, I realized there's a lot of words I say weird or, or yeah. mispronounced like and uh, en, en route. I always would say en route. And oh, I th- there's like I, a director I it was interchangeable. I didn't know. The director told me we had to keep going over it because I said en route. And he's like, no, you can't say it like that. It's en route. And there were a couple like that. I can't remember others, but that was one. I hear that a lot from people. They're like, oh, I didn't realize I couldn't pronounce any words because they read their audiobooks. So authors who don't read the audiobooks, they they still think that they're geniuses. But authors who do read the audiobooks, they know they can't say anything right. (laughs) Yeah. The audiobook process was also very helpful because there were... There were three typos in the book that I found. The book had been off to print, and I went and recorded the audiobook right before the holidays. And as I was recording, I noticed three little mistakes. And I'm sure there, there may be others in the final draft, but I noticed three of them reading the audiobook. And I frantically called the editor, and I was like, we have to change these before it goes to print, because there was one mistake on page two. <laughs> Uh, and it, I was like, it will drive me nuts. Like I, we, and luckily we're able to fix them. But I, so I think it's important to read the audiobook because you'll catch things. Well, I, so they oftentimes have authors read the audiobooks like right before the book comes out. And I think that they should do it earlier because I've heard so many authors say that they would have edited or changed sections after they like read it out loud for the audiobook because they realized they like didn't actually like how it flowed and I thought that was really interesting yeah. and then they just know that there's a part of their book that they just hate for the rest of their lives yeah I just I have a friend who's doing a book right now and I was like you absolutely have to record the audiobook as soon as possible and I said make sure that they don't send it to print until after you're done recording because you will catch things so the book's been out for like a month now well when people are listening it will be a month um who's the coolest person who's expressed interest in your book 
Oh my God. I mean, I did this whole press tour thing and I got to go on The View and the Drew Barrymore show. And so it was exciting. Drew Barrymore sort of talking to me about the book and she had read, she hadn't finished it, but she had read some of it. And that was like a thrill to me. And yeah, there are certain comedians I love that uh, Casey Wilson was super uh, mm. helpful throughout the process. And she even provided a blurb for me. So like she was one of the first people to read it. And I just think she's the funniest, smartest person. And so I couldn't believe that she read the book and then also gave me this beautiful blurb that's on the book. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to think of who else there have been certain people I've gotten DMs from and and we're trying to adapt it. Uh, as a TV show or movie. And so I've taken some meetings. And so there are, yeah, people that I've been hearing from and it's just wild to me. I mean, cause you write it and you, I, I don't know, just the fact that anyone's reading it or, or anytime on social media, when somebody tags me with like specific thoughts about the book, I'm like, Oh, oh you actually read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, if they adapt it into a thing, who do you want to play you? Oh my God. Well, I, it, me is who I oh. want to play me, which oh, okay. is probably a gross answer. No, to it's say, great. But- that's the goal. But I keep sort of fantasy casting my parents uh, in the book or in, in what it would be and thinking about who would play my mom or my dad. And I think I would love like Bonnie, a Bonnie Hunt to play my mom because uh. it's very Midwestern kind of vibe. So that's who I've been thinking about for Linda Pellegrino. OK, love that. Love that. Um, for people who like this book, what else would you recommend to them to read? Oh, I m- mentioned Casey Wilson. I think her book wreckage of my presence was fantastic i love phoebe robinson's writing her and i grew up in the same town in ohio and i think her books are brilliant uh i love this book called swish which i think i mentioned was super important to me when i was in um college it's by a a guy named joel durfner and so those are the three that sort of pop out uh that i think if you like this you would like that I like that. Um, I saw Casey Wilson and Phoebe Robinson in conversation in LA. It was like one of the first things I did since the pandemic, book things I did since the pandemic. But I know Casey, I used to teach at Flywheel and Casey used to take my class all the time. She's absolutely lovely person. She's Um, so funny too. She just cracks me up. Yeah, Yeah. she's so great. Okay, just I have just two more questions. One is what do you hope folks will keep in mind as they read your book? I hope they keep in mind that I just want them to escape for a couple hours. I just, I, I think everything, we're at this fever pitch right now. I think we all need to let the air out of our tires a little bit. And so I really just want it to feel like a warm hug. And I keep mm-hmm. saying that and I feel like it sounds cheesy, but yeah, I ultimately just want people to escape. And I think we have all of these huge fights that we need to fight. I think there are so, there's so much going on culturally mm-hmm. with the, the world, the government, everything. And I want everyone to fight those fights. I think we need to fight. I, I was just listening to a, an interview about climate change. And there are so many, I mean, so many things, right. obviously. But I think it's important for us all to have our escapes, our outlets to recharge, replenish the batteries, all that kind of stuff. So that's ultimately what I want. I want it to be something that people can check out for two hours so that they can go on and fight all those fights yeah. and have the energy to do that. I think that's where I realized I'm best at, which maybe sounds gross to say, but yeah, I think that's my purpose in life is to give people a little bit of escape so that they can go fight those fights and, and fix all the problems that we all have. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Here's my last question for you. 
If you could have anyone dead or alive read this book, who would you want it to be? Oh my God, that's such a good question. Uh, I think I would love to know what Lucille Ball would think of the book. Mm. I don't know. That's just the first person that came to mind. I like that. I think someone else said Lucille Ball once. I can't remember who it was, but I was really shocked with the answer also. And they were like, I'm a huge Lucille Ball fan. I do. (laughs) I love Lucy. I mean, who doesn't love Lucy? Wait, I know who it was. It was Rachel Lindsay. Oh my God. And maybe I wonder if subconsciously, because I listened to that interview, I wonder oh, if that's maybe. subconsciously. She mentioned your Rachel. book as a book that was in conversation with her book. She's the best. She also She's provided a blurb for my book. I love, yeah. I love Rachel. I love Rachel. Uh, maybe She's I wonder best. if subconsciously, maybe that I feel maybe. like maybe that came, but I, I'm trying to think now I feel like I need to give somebody else too, but no, it's great. We love a repeat. You're in the Lucille I, Ball's now in the two timers, two timers book club that we've created. <laughs> I'm a big Golden Girls fan too. Okay. And I, I've I always loved B. Arthur. And I think mm. she's, I love her activism and what she stood for with the LGBTQ community. And so I would love her to read it too. Okay. That's a unique, no one said B. Arthur. And also maybe like some sort of, I, I think like our, my gay forefathers, oh. let's just say, like, okay. I would love to know what the gay, I would love the gay forefathers to know and see that like, oh, people are, there are, there's a gay author coming out with a book referencing Sean Cody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they would be so proud. Um, well, yeah. Danny, this was so great. Everyone go out and get Danny's book. It's called How Do I Unremember This? And listen to Danny's incredible podcast, Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino. Danny, thank you so much for being here. Tracy, it was my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. And again, I love you. I love your show. And so I just thank you for spreading the word about books too, because I think it's so important. And you mentioned getting the book and I just want to take a minute to, if you, I know everyone's having trouble with money and all sorts of stuff. So go to your local library and get it. If you ask your library to hold it uh, or uh, support your independent bookstore, I think it's super important. If you don't want to buy it from one of the big retailers, go and go to IndieBound.org and it'll connect you with your local bookstore. Okay, yep. And there will be links in the show notes for everyone to get all the books we talked about, uh, including Danny's book and to find his podcast and everything. So and it will be linked to independent bookstores. Don't you worry. Thank you so much, Danny and everyone Thank else. You, we will Tracy. see you in the stacks. All right, that does it for us today. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you to Danny for being my guest. I'd also like to give a huge thank you to Caroline Broke for coordinating this interview. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for April is Doppelgangbanger by Courtney Lamar Charleston, which we will be discussing on Wednesday, April 27th with Nate Marshall. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram, at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Our editor is Christian Duenas. Our assistant is Lauren Tyree. And our graphic designer is Robin McCrite. The Stacks theme music comes from Tagiragist. And the Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.